What does God desire more than anything else for each one of us as disciples, as followers, as those who adhere to the teachings of Jesus? I think in a summary statement, we can say that God wants us more than anything else to be able to put it all in the Savior's hands. When I think about the men that Jesus chose, this lesson is not necessarily about that section of Scripture that Philip read, but rather the one that was, if you can, the catalyst for Jesus being able to do that great miracle there in, uh, in, the, in John chapter 6. You see, Jesus took 12 ordinary men, men that were just like you and me, who had their various strengths and their various failures, who had their various uh, doubts and their various fears, and he took 12 ordinary men and he, well, in the words of one in the book of Acts chapter 17, turned the world upside down through those men. What does Jesus want more than anything else for us as his followers? I think we can understand that Jesus wants more than anything else for us to be able to give it all to him, to put it all into his hands. Now, it doesn't mean that there's responsibility that's not placed upon you and me to be disciples, faithful workers for him, but rather to trust him with all of our efforts. I'd like to do just a character study this morning, a brief one as it were, and looking at four snapshots of a particular disciple of Jesus, a particular apostle of Jesus. You see, the Bible tells us about the apostles, but as you look through the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you're going to find is those men primarily are in the shadow of the cross. That is, those men are in Jesus' shadow the entire, well, the majority of the time. Sometimes it is, you'll find that they'll poke out every now and again, and, and you'll have a Peter that says, uh, whenever he's in the boat, Lord, if it's you that's walking on the water, command, uh, command me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. We look at that episode in Peter's life, and we draw some conclusions based upon who Peter is and what, he com what he's commanded to do and his faith or lack thereof. But by and large, the focus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is on Jesus, the light of the world, the Messiah, the one who's come into the world. But what's interesting to me is as you look at these men that Jesus chose, there weren't really any of them that were extraordinary as far as their abilities go. They were ordinary people just like you and me. That brings my mind to a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where it says, Consider your calling, brethren. There weren't many of you that were, uh, called, that were noble or, 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 or uh, wise or according to this age. There were, there were not many of you that were, that were mighty as far as this world is concerned. But God chose the weak things of the world to put to shame the wise. And how it is that the gospel is for all, but not all are going to accept it. It's interesting to me that when you find the disciple Andrew, you find somebody who is absolutely willing to put it all in the Savior's hands. He is the one that I'd like to take just a few minutes this morning and look at. Because I think that there's some lessons that we can learn about his service and about his life as a disciple of Jesus that can give us some encouragement, some hope, and some direction as far as what the Lord wants us to do in putting everything into his hands. When you look at Andrew, it's interesting to me that almost exclusively you're going to find every mention of him or just about every mention of him that he is referred to as, with the tagline, Simon Peter's brother or the brother of Simon. Anybody ever lived in somebody else's shadow? <laughs> I was at uh, Bear Valley this past weekend, and uh, I was leading singing on Sunday evening, and, uh, and just before they closed the lectureship, 
And the director of the lectureship got up and said, you know, I'd been leading singing a little bit. And he said, all right, we're going to have one final song that John's going to lead us in. And, and he's going to, uh, to lead us in this song. And, and then we're going to dismiss in a prayer. John, come on up and lead that song. <laughs> and John's my older brother. And I remember that all through high school, walking down the hallways and going and sitting in the classes of the same teacher. And sometimes those teachers would say, John, can you answer question number two for us? And usually Andy couldn't, and so he'd kind of look around for John and, and couldn't find him. But you understand, there's something to be living in somebody's shadow. Everybody knows who Simon Peter is. You go out on the street and say, who was the greatest of the apostles? And a lot of people would say, well, it was Peter, right? You know a whole lot about Peter and his life, but we don't know a whole lot about Andrew, except that he was the brother of Simon Peter. In a lot of cases, he played second fiddle, as it were, to Peter and his outspokenness and his, uh, his words and the way that he was. But brothers and sisters, every time you see Andrew as a disciple of Jesus, he's wanting to put it into the Savior's hands. He's wanting to bring somebody to Jesus. He's wanting to encourage somebody to know the Lord better and wanting to put his faith completely in him. I think that speaks a lot to the mission and the desire that each one of us should have as Christians to want to put it and bring it all the way in the hands of Jesus. Let's look at four snapshots of Andrew's life this morning. I hope you've got your Bible with you. If you do, let's look at snapshot number one in Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one. Note each one of these things is something that Andrew allowed Jesus to do. That is, by his faith in Jesus... It was something that he made the choice that this is something that I'm going to do. Number one, I want you to understand that Andrew allowed Jesus to give his life purpose, give his life meaning. As you're looking there in Mark chapter 1, it is the opening of the book of Mark. Mark hits the ground running, as it were, and, and begins to speak about Jesus and about his ministry. He doesn't give a whole lot of backstory as far as the apostles go, but what he's going to do is begin to hit the ground running with who Jesus is and what he's doing. Look beginning in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. The Bible says, and he, as he walked, that is Jesus, as Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother. There it is. He's in the shadow of Simon. They were casting their nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Then immediately, one of the key words of the book of Mark, you're going to find that word occurring over and over and over. It's action-packed. It's quick-moving. Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. A couple things to observe about Andrew and Peter, his brother, here at this time as we get started. Number one, these are hard-working men. These are men who know the value of hard work. It's not the type of fishing that we think about today where you go out and you sit in a boat and uh, put your, head, your hat down over your, your face and, and take a three-hour nap and call it a sport. It's not that. These men are fishing for their livelihood. They are working hard. In fact, you would find in, in uh, Luke chapter 5, it says Jesus calls Peter and Andrew and they, they, they cast their nets out on the other side. They've been fishing all night at that point. They were exhausted. They were accustomed to hard, hard work in this case. And it's interesting to me that Jesus comes along, and as they're doing this business and doing this work, he gives them a command. He says, you follow me. But it's not just you follow me for no purpose, but rather that Jesus gives him a purpose. Andrew, Peter, you guys 
follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus called four fishermen that we know about. Peter, Andrew, and then a little bit further down in the context, James and John. There may have been three other fishermen. And it is that he called a tax collector, Matthew. And it is that he called a religious zealot, that is a first century terrorist such as Simon. But as Jesus called each one of these, you may have considered that they had already found their life's work. They had already become fishermen, perhaps after the trade of their father Zebedee, uh, James and John. And as they continue to fish and fish, they're doing what it is that they've always done. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if we consider very much, but if we hadn't been called by Christ through the gospel, 2 Thessalonians 2.14, if we hadn't given our lives to Jesus and committed all to him, can you consider the fact that you would still be in an office, in a job, in a place where you're earning money, but by and large your life really doesn't have any purpose? A lot of people want to try and find their purpose with their spouse. They want to try and find their purpose in making this other person happy, but you know what? That's not going to last. A lot of people want to try and find their their purpose with their kids. And yes, kids can become the center of a home's attention for years and years and years. But you know what? That's not going to last because sooner or later those kids will, if according to the biblical pattern, will leave the home. A lot of people want to try and their, find their, their, their joy and their purpose in their job. And yes, you want to do a good job. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. But that's not going to be your purpose. You know why? Because that job is not going to last forever. Where do we find the meaning and the purpose for our lives? We find it because we look to Andrew and how it was that he was allowing Jesus to give his life a deeper, richer meaning, a deeper, richer fulfillment in finding men who were wanting to become Christians, finding men who were wanting to become disciples of Jesus. And that was his life's purpose and mission once he left that net and he began to follow Jesus. Brothers and sisters, God has given us a purpose. God has told us, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. God has told us that we need to follow him and every step of the way he's leading us to the greatest of possible places. And our lives are not just lived around kids or spouse or our jobs or recreation or any of those other things that we try and define our lives by, but it's defined by the one who, whose name we wear. Christians, Christ followers, ones who have been made in the image of God, who have recognized our purpose here on this earth to glorify him. Andrew allowed Jesus to give his life purpose. Picture number two. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 1, verse 35. Jesus, or excuse me, Andrew allowed Jesus to be his proclamation. To be his proclamation. <clears throat> Andrew and John, the apostle that wrote this book, were disciples at, of John the Baptizer. And being disciples of John the Baptizer, they were hanging around him and expecting, it seems like, that one day he was going to point out, before too long, the Messiah to them. And we find John doing that down in verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
In verse 35, John is there the next day, and he's got his two disciples with him. That is Andrew and uh, Andrew and John, uh, John the Apostle. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. These two disciples, this is Andrew and John, heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that, that, uh, that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. Now one of the two that heard John speak and followed him was, here we go, Andrew, here's the tag, Simon Peter's brother. And he found his own brother, that is Simon, and he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. It's seemingly insignificant what Andrew did, isn't it? All Andrew did was spend the day with Jesus and then get up and go home and tell his brother, we have found the Messiah. I have to ask myself, what if Andrew had never done that? What if Andrew had never went and found his brother, Peter? What if he had taken the role and the, and the place that a lot of us take? We found the Messiah, but we're not going to tell anybody about it. I wonder if there's Christians that might have had family members to become Christians if it were just that they would make the proclamation, I found the one that's made a difference in my life. I found the one that's given my life meaning and my purpose. Instead, day after day, soul after soul, we walk by them and don't say a word, even though we know that the Jesus that made such a difference in our lives and in our hearts and changing us and turning us around to be people that please God can make the same difference in that person's life, and yet we don't say a word. Andrew just simply going and telling Peter, we have found the Messiah. And then letting Peter come and investigate on his own led to a man that became an elder in the church. Led to the man that we have his recorded words in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Led to a man that went to Rome and as tradition tells us was crucified upside down for Jesus' sake. Led to a man that has influenced so many people, and we can read his writings today. We don't have a book of Andrew. We do have books of Peter. But what if Andrew had never said anything at all? Brothers and sisters, I think we psych ourselves out a lot when it comes to evangelism. When it comes to sharing the message of the gospel. And sometimes it is we think that it requires us to memorize a script and go down the page and, and look at all these different scriptures and be able to link them together all the way. Yes, there are methods, and yes, it is true that we have to bring somebody to the Word of God before it is that they're going to understand what they need to do to become a Christian. But I wonder sometimes if we sell ourselves short by saying, I can't do that, just saying, I can't do anything. And instead, looking and just saying, here is one who's made a difference in my life. I have found Jesus, and you need to find him too. 
Come and see, as it's repeated three times in John chapter 1. Come and look for yourself and see if it is that you don't find a group of people here at Graver Road that have made a difference, that Jesus has made a difference in our lives. Instead, we just don't say a word at all. Let Jesus be the one that you're living for. Let Jesus be the one of whom you're trying to direct men. Let Jesus be the one that's going to make the difference in people's lives. But brothers and sisters, we've got to say, come to Jesus. Come and see. I think about the woman who was there at the well in John chapter 4, just a couple chapters over. And as this woman sat there and talked to Jesus, their range went a number of different places. They talked about worship. They talked about her husband. They talked about living water. But it is that when she discovered, I found the Messiah, you know what she did? She didn't keep that to herself, and she ran back to her village. She didn't tell them. It doesn't seem like every theological concept, every deep theological thing that these people could have understood about the conversation that they just had. She said, I found one. Do you suppose that he could be the Christ? And those people came, and you know what they did? They heard for themselves. When was the last time we had invited somebody to come and say, come and listen to Jesus and hear for yourself the difference that he can make in your life? Andrew allowed Jesus to be his proclamation. Number three, turn your Bibles, please, to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Andrew allowed Jesus to be problem solver. To be his problem solver. John chapter 12, and let's begin in verse 20. Bible says, here's the feast of dedication. There were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew. And in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Here's a somewhat unique situation. Here are Greek proselytes, that is, converts to Judaism. They're not proper Jews, as it were, but rather they're converts. And if I'm thinking with the eyes of a Jew, especially one of the Jewish followers of Jesus, that is the twelve apostles, I may be thinking, our Lord is here to give us religious and military dominance over the rest of the world. That's what the first century Jews thought Jesus was there to do. It could have been that Andrew and Philip really thought that that's what Jesus was designed to do. So now you have these Greeks different than us. Now you have these people that are coming and wanting to see Jesus. What do we do? Because these are not necessarily going to be the people that are going to reign with Messiah as he establishes his earthly kingdom. This doesn't seem like it's, well, lack of a better word, kosher. This doesn't seem like it's something that maybe the Lord would allow. The Greeks come and they ask Philip. Philip says, I don't know what to do about this. Who does he go to? He takes it to Andrew. And it seems like, again, looking at the lines and maybe reading just a little bit between the lines, it was Andrew that took Philip and said, let's go ask the Savior. Let's go talk to him about this. Let's go let the Lord solve our problems. We'll see that more here in just a moment in the fourth point that we're going to make. But it is Andrew bringing Philip and bringing this problem to Jesus. Casting on him our every care because he cares for us. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, verse 6 rather. 
looking at us and seeing the fact that we've got difficulties and issues and problems in our life that we face? And how often do we get in trouble because we don't have a direction for these things and we don't think to look to Jesus to solve our problems? When you have problems like what we talked about this morning in our Bible class about problems of discipline with regard to children and those things, we'll turn to all sorts of different earthly forms of, of, of man's wisdom. Dr. Oz, Dr. Spock, Dr. Phil. And we look at all these doctors as if their wisdom is going to be better than the wisdom that Christ has given or maybe just different because we don't think that Jesus has spoken on those things. But when we look at what God has laid out for us in His Word and how He wants us to be obedient and how He wants us to be disciplined and how He wants us to be children of His, faithful. Brothers and sisters, whatever the question is, Jesus is the answer. And a life that puts everything into Jesus' hands in committing a faith to one who's told us that I will never leave you nor forsake you Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Matthew 28, verse 20. Putting everything into Jesus' hands means I don't necessarily know how this is going to work out, but I know who's going to work it out. I know that He is faithful. He will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I'm able to bear. I know that He's going to take care of me, even though it is I don't know necessarily, and I have a tendency to worry. I'm going to commit that to His hands. Philip was looking at the problem. Andrew was looking at the solution. Take that same vein and come over to point number four. Andrew allowed Jesus to shape his possibilities. Go back to the passage that Philip read for us just a few moments ago from John chapter 6. Feeding of the 5,000. Verse 4. Now the Passover, a feast of Jews, were near. And Jesus, lifting his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he says to who? He says to Philip. Philip, where are we going to find enough food so that all of these can eat? But he said this to test him, for he knew what he would do. Philip answered. <laughs> Philip's first response, I appreciate this, is to whip out the calculator and begin to do calculations. It used to be that I was in youth ministry, and I got to be pretty good at estimating pizza. If I had 30 youth members come, I could say, all right, how many of those are boys? How many of those are girls? All right, girls on average will maybe eat one, maybe two slices of pizza. Boys on average will eat three to five, depending on how big the pizzas are. And I could estimate it almost down to a single pie or a single slice left over. I was pretty proud of that. When you look at Philip, this is what Philip begins to do. He begins to do some calculations to say, listen, there's 200 days wages. That's not going to be enough to feed all these people. Philip's looking at the solution or the problem and seeing how great the problem is. However, verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, here's the tag, Simon Peter's brother said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? I appreciate Andrew and his attitude because it wasn't about just looking for this problem. It was about bringing the possibilities to the one that could do something about it. It doesn't seem like it was a thought here in Andrew's mind that Jesus was going to be able to make something out of something so small. But don't you appreciate when people offer solutions to problems that everybody knows is a problem? 
Listen, there's a thousand people that when you throw something up in the air to say, here's a great idea for this. Oh, no, that'll never work because, and they begin to try and poke holes in those things. Oh, no, we tried that back in 1975, and this was the result, and that's never going to work here. One of the things that I've grown to do is try and be a person who's a problem solver and to try and bring something, some feeble solution, even if it is just a feeble solution like five loaves and two small fish. What can we do? Let's not just be people that are just poking holes in everything like uh, like, uh, Philip. What's 200 denarii? That's never going to feed anybody. But be a problem solver. Bring whatever it is, the solution, and say, we've got to do something. Let's find out what it is that's, uh, that's possible. Let's find out and bring it to Jesus. And you know what I find? Every single time when the disciples did this and put it all in Jesus' hands, Jesus not only met, but he surpassed all of their expectations. You realize that? It wasn't just about feeding the 5,000. It was about a lesson to show these men, listen, You're talking to the bread of life, which he's going to go on and talk about throughout the rest of John chapter 6. And you're talking about the one who has command over the wind and the waves. And a young boy's lunch becomes a vehicle by which thousands are fed. And not only that, there's leftovers. There's leftovers. However, you go back and they... (laughs) Similar passage, Matthew 14, Matthew 15, you find the disciples getting into the boat after an occasion like this where they have the leftovers there and and they'd uh, forgotten some bread and they go across the sea and Jesus tells them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And their thought is, you know why he's saying that, right? It's because we forgot to bring the bread. They begin to argue maybe perhaps about whose job it was. Whose job was it to bring the bread? Who Who brought the leftovers? And Jesus has to point him back to this occasion and say, don't you remember? Don't you know who it is that you have with you? I'm warning you to beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Don't worry about the bread. The Lord's going to take care of it. It's going to be all right. When was the last time, speaking in vain of all these points, that we brought somebody to Jesus saying, Lord, I'm... Here's what I did. I invited my neighbor to come to church with me. I don't know if that invitation is going to do anything. And yet at the same time, recognizing that our God is more powerful than anything we can imagine, and recognizing that by opening the door to that possibility, the way Andrew did here in John chapter 6, and the way he did with Simon Peter, It is that the kingdom may be richer based upon us having the faith and putting it all in Jesus' hands to make a difference in somebody's life. Brothers and sisters, I say all of this to say we have a tremendous opportunity here at Graver Road. We have been given many tremendous opportunities to commit our lives and our works and our obedience to Jesus and to put it into His hands and step out in faith as it were and Share the gospel. I bring this up because two weeks from now, we've got an occasion where we're going to go out on a Saturday and door knock. Where we're going to give people an invitation. And let me encourage you, because we've got plenty of these, these homemade, as it were, invitations by one of our very own Andrews, Joseph Luna. He did the artwork. 
He did the design. He did the graphic and everything. All we did was have it printed on a 3x5 index card. A friends and family day opportunity. I'm going to take this and I'm going to give it to my neighbors. I'm going to give it to my friends. I'm going to give it to my family members and say, would you please come and join us on October 6th? Come and see the Messiah. Come and hear a message about him. Come and see the love that he has. He wants us to have as demonstrated based upon his disciples. And we might be tempted like Philip to say, oh, we tried door knocking. That never works. Oh, we tried that. It never works. Oh, we give me something that does work. Be a solution finder. Put this into somebody's hands and see if God doesn't give the increase. Brothers and sisters, nothing would make us happier. Nothing would make us more encouraged than if every single one of us got one person to commit to coming on that Sunday to hear the message about Jesus, to bring somebody and put it all into his hands and to have a building that's packed, that's full to overflowing with people who are here because they know the difference that Christ has made in my life and your life. Do we have faith enough to do that? Do we have a sense of courage like Andrew did? And even though it may be, we never have a book named after us. Even though it may be, we never have our name etched in marble or on the minds of the people through the annals of time. It's an understanding to know that the kingdom of heaven is richer based upon your labor and my labor. And it's going to pay off dividends in eternity. Have you put it all in the Savior's hands? We had to start with a place, and that was at the very beginning with Andrew committing his life to Jesus. Have you committed your life to Jesus? Maybe there's somebody here this morning who has never obeyed the gospel. Yes, the gospel is something to be obeyed. Yes, it is good news about the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there is an obedience that we have to render towards him, and that comes through obeying the gospel of Romans chapter 6. We were obedient from the heart to that form of doctrine to which we were delivered. What form of doctrine is that? I go through and I look through the book of Acts, and you know what I find? I find five things that those disciples did or those people did in order to become New Testament Christians. They heard the message about Jesus. You read through what we mentioned a little while ago in Acts chapter 2 about the message that Peter preached there on Pentecost. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the sin that these men had committed and, and nailing him to the cross. It's about hearing the gospel. It's about believing the message that Jesus is God's son. Those men, when they heard that God had made both Jesus Lord and Christ in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36... They listened to that and they were cut to the heart. That's the third thing. You've got to repent. You've got to say, wait a minute. What I did was wrong. My life has been lived in rebellion and open rebellion towards, what, towards God and towards his message. And what those men did said, well, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, this is what you're supposed to do. Repent. Change your mind and your ways. Resolve to live things God's way. And be baptized. Be immersed into water for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, verse 38. Have you done that? If not, you're still, as the Bible says, outside of Christ. Have you given your life to Jesus in a demonstration of your obedience? If you have this morning, maybe you're a Christian, and you struggle the way that we all do with putting everything into Jesus' hands. You're not alone. 
We all struggle. We all have difficulties. We all have doubts. But you know what? We're imperfect. But every day we're walking and striving towards maturity. We all have our doubts, but every day we're walking and becoming more and more assured through what God has told us about His Son and trying to live for Him. If we can encourage you in your struggles, we would love to do that and help you through those. Pray with you, pray for you, study with you, and help you to understand the greatness of serving Jesus. Thank you for your kind attention this morning. Let's stand and sing our invitation song.